I mean, I was shocked. I told somebody, they said, what's the biggest surprise of COVID? I said that I would have to say so many times to people, oh, wash your hands. If you're home, if you're sick, stay home. You know, it seems insane that you would have to even. It say is. That. It's crazy. But every press conference I did for, and I sometimes I did three a day. Mm-hmm. Just remember, the number one thing you can do is to wash your hands. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Milbank Podcast Network from Milbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. Ymilbank.com is our website. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at ymilbank at gmail.com. If you want to help support the show, you can do it a couple ways. You can tell more people to listen, share it across your social medias and in your friend groups. That's always a great way to get more listeners. The other way you can help support the show is by sharing value. If you got value out of this show, you decide what that looks like. If it's a dollar, fifty dollars, hundred thousand dollars, whatever the value is you get out of it, you determine what that is. And you can send it our way, ymailbank.com. Click on the podcast button, and there's a donate button. Everything is appreciated and very helpful, so we can continue these conversations. This one today is one that we've been working on for several years, uh, and we're grateful that we had just a brief time uh, to get this one in. Uh, this I will call part one, as we hopefully will see more down the road. Uh, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem stopped by the studio this week. Uh, her and Lieutenant Governor Larry Roden sat in here and had a l- brief chat about South Dakota and what's going on uh, in the state. And we appreciate their time. Uh, Governor Nome is up for re-election in 2022. So this is a continuation uh, of our political podcasts that we try to do every election cycle to get more uh, candidates out there to our listeners so you can be more informed about the people that are asking for your vote. So we appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed this brief conversation with Governor Christy Nome. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. When was the last time you were in Milbank? Do you know? I um, think, you know, I come to Milbank quite often. I My family is up here. I've got the Liebies, the Bones, the Stengels are all our family. So, and then often we're just driving through the area. I think people would be surprised how much driving we do across the state. So they'll <laughs> see me at a random gas station right. filling with fuel or, you know, buying a can of mm-hmm. pop somewhere. But your barbecue down here at the gas station is the best in the state. So, um, wow. It is fantastic. That's the endorsement. So, yes, it is. <laughs> is that so, Greg Thomas's product? Uh, yes, it is. Interesting. It's fantastic. Hey, Greg, <clears throat> sponsorship would be all right. <clears throat> yes. Uh, <no. laughs> um, a week ago, South Dakota got hit pretty good with um, mm-hmm. a storm that I, I've lived here for 15 years now. And there's only been one time in the time we've been here that we've had a storm that called for a tornado siren. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have one hit us, but just 40 minutes to the south, um, Castlewood did. And that's right. where you're actually from, correct? Right. That, that's the address um, of our ranch. So Castlewood is about six miles away from where we live, but mm. those are our people. That's yeah. our home. And yeah, it was devastating. This was a storm like we haven't seen in the state of South Dakota before. It really was unprecedented. And I think People don't really realize that, but because it was so widespread and they call it a derecho, which is much like the storm that hit Iowa, Kansas. Um, oh, and just leveled last year buildings. and just did yeah. so much destruction. Um, but behind 
our derecho was also a storm um, formation that was like, they call it a haboob, which is like a storm that happens in the Middle East and Afghanistan and Iraq. So, so is this not the language you're speaking? I know, right? <laughs> I, I'm getting very good. You know, one of my folks that work with me said, I wish we had to quit we could have the opportunity to quit learning new storm exactly, names because right. of you. Because in 2019, <laughs> as soon as I became governor, we had the bomb cyclone. Oh, I which forgot about nobody, that. Nobody, right. you know, remembered. But that was new. I didn't know what a bomb cyclone was right. until it hit South Dakota. So this was about 300 miles long of destruction. And usually you'll have a tornado come in and damage one town. Mm-hmm. But this, these winds damaged dozens of towns and then all the farms and ranches in between. So it... The amount of destruction is is tough for mm-hmm. South Dakota to handle. And the hard thing right now that's going on is a lot of people were underinsured on their private property. There's not a government program. There's not FEMA. There's not anything to help people get back on their feet. It's private insurance that comes in and fixes houses. So there's no FEMA money coming not in for, for this? Not for individuals. There's just really? not. Because it's not, it's not the kind of destruction that is covered by FEMA. So you so can this always. Is an act of God? Well, you know, it felt like it. If if you were in it, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, people say. Even the National Weather Service said to me, they said, Governor, this made our hair stand on end. It was. Um, we haven't seen anything like this, and and it came up so fast, mm-hmm. and it was just this black wall coming towards people, mm-hmm. and everybody thought, what was that? What is that coming? Right. So it. No, it. You know, the government does not come in with a program that does something that private people should do for themselves that that personal responsibility should cover. So if you own a house or a shed or a garage or a grain bin, they want people to buy private insurance Mm -hmm. to cover destruction of that. And for wind damage, uh, there is private insurance available. So that does, that is not a qualifying loss under FEMA. Is that new uh, after Katrina? Well, because Katrina like, was flooding, and and if oh, you're so not, that was the only issue was the flooding part. That was mainly part that flooding gotcha. and flooding. You know, you only mm-hmm. can get flood insurance if you're in a flood, flood zone, flood, and right. I think at that time a lot of that damage was not necessarily mm-hmm. in a flood. But FEMA zone. jumped in and did pick up some of that, didn't they? A lot of it because if you meet a certain threshold, then you can qualify for individual assistance mm. through FEMA. Uh, we're not going to hit that because really? the towns were spread out. It's county by county, mm-hmm. and because we have one small town. In one county with damage right. in between. On the whole, that's not very right. much. Katrina, okay. Katrina was so much property yeah. damage in one mm-hmm. county that added up to so much money that that's when FEMA came in and reimbursed those individuals. Right. So that's the tough thing about South Dakota, too. We're spread out. People were just as devastated. There just isn't that high loss mm-hmm. that happens in each county. And the interesting thing is, is that, you know, we have inflation. So people maybe. A year, yeah, a year or two ago, you know, that shed may have been worth a hundred thousand dollars, and they insured it for that. But now, with inflation and supply chain costs, it might cost them two hundred to replace it. Right. People just can't afford. They're not going to have insurance money to be able to rebuild. They just can't afford to necessarily replace what they lost. So what do you? What's being planned? Well, I don't know. Or, Or is there anything that can be done? You know, that, that's difficult, to, you know, because the state doesn't have a program. The federal government doesn't have a program to step in. I think nonprofits are going to have to help and farmers and ranchers and people are going to have to, they're going to end up financing to rebuild, mm. which is going to put them in debt after this. And that's, that's just a big life change. Do you think some of these small communities just won't ever get back to what they were? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They will be changed forever, mm. especially Castlewood. You know, they lost 60, mm-hmm. 60 homes were Was it impacted. 60? Yeah. I know one of our clients 
her house was in the just just on the other side of the school okay. and it moved 12 feet off the foundation it's a miracle they're not dead they were Absolutely. in the basement they had to wow. crawl out of a hole in the basement to get out yeah it was amazing what happened yeah. in castlewood that night people literally their house destroyed got yeah. out of their house or basement and saw that their neighbors were trapped and went and cut them out That's and crazy. dragged them out of their basements and when i got there about an hour and a half after the storm mm-hmm. People were just wandering the streets, shell shocked. I bet. I mean, they yeah. just didn't know what to do. Well, it looks like a movie. It, like, it, it really did, real. and it was starting to get dark. And mm-hmm. you know, then they're wondering, where do we go? What yeah. do we do? So, and there's power lines down everywhere, trees that. You know, and gas lines that could be yeah, broken. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. So it was tough. We just had a quick community meeting in the community hall and said, "You need to get what you need for the mm-hmm. evening. Don't go into your home unless you have a fireman with you or a law enforcement officer to ensure that you get back out. All oh, right, so you don't get stuck. Yeah. Yeah, and then go find a hotel room mm-hmm. in Watertown and. We will let you back in tomorrow, but we need to make sure this town is not got people wandering around it at night when we don't know what the dangers are. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and it, you know this this happens, but when it's your home. Yeah. Well, for us too, you know, I've not been directly affected mm-hmm. personally. Um, you know, we had a storm. We were in the basement. We were, you know, hunkered down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have friends now that were directly. I mean, they don't yeah. have a home. They don't have no. cars anymore. It totally makes it real. It does. It, it really does because you understand all the decisions mm-hmm. that they're having to make and figure yeah. out, like, literally, where do you go sleep the next night? Right. And what yeah. if there's a family in Castlewood that is from California. They had just bought and closed the day before on a house right next to the school. Oh, man. And it was just wiped out. So think about buying a new home, closing <laughs> oh, on it, and yeah. then having the storm hit. And you'd moved all the way across the country to be mm-hmm. a part of this community. The thing that was so interesting that I talked to people all across the state was everybody who has moved into South Dakota in the last year, Mm because a lot of people have, they all said um, our community in California would never have done what we're seeing here. They would have never come out and helped their neighbors and leave their destruction to come help me clean up my mess. Mm -hmm. And people from Michigan and Ohio, even a a couple I met from Arizona that moved to South Dakota which that's remarkable to move from Arizona to South Dakota. I'm just saying that's a big, <laughs> I always, say, I always say to people, I'm shocked that you did that actually. <laughs> it's not like Arizona was right. that bad, but, um, but they all say that, that what, what they sense is the community spirit in South Dakota is unlike anywhere else. Mm. And it's a really good reminder for us about what's special about our state. Yeah. 2020 was something that no one really anticipated. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, did this shock you? The speed in which, the governments and, you know, not talking about the world, just in America, the governments stepping in to control lives overnight. And and the American public said, oh, please tell me what to do. Do I need to clean my hands? And, uh, mm-hmm. how, do, how do I stay healthy? Did that surprise you at the speed of that? Well, we knew we COVID was coming a couple of months before it ever came. So we started studying it in December. Um, in other countries, talking mm-hmm. about this virus that was hitting other countries. And so I started talking to researchers and doctors who specialized in viruses and and doing understanding, you know, what the effects were. Mm-hmm. Um, then when it hit the United States, we knew eventually it would come to South Dakota. So we set up an emergency operations center to prepare for it and get our Department of Health ready just to respond and talk to our hospitals to make sure they had capacity if we needed it. Because if you remember when they were talking about covid at the beginning, the first pictures they showed 
on national TV were people running down the street screaming with yeah. blood coming yeah. out of their eyes. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. That's all thanks horrific. to TikTok. It's like mm-hmm. the movies you see of pandemic. Um, and they told us 250 to 300,000 South Dakotans were going to die. Yeah. It was just like a fact. That's mm-hmm. what they said to us. So when we got our first cases in March, we were somewhat prepared and trying to rely on experts. I, I appreciated we had President Trump at the time. He didn't mandate anything to us. I mean, he literally let me do my job as governor, which I appreciated because I don't know if anybody else had been in the White House if they would have let me do my job. But we had the chance to make decisions. And I was surprised because I spent, I don't know, we we spent hundreds of hours on the phone with other governors mm-hmm. and and talking about the virus and what they were recommending and what the government was recommending. And I just kept thinking, but I don't have the authority as governor to tell people they can't stay home or that they have to stay home. I don't have the authority to tell them they have to close their business. That's not, you know, a power granted to me. So that was what was strange and shocked me is I saw all these, and I would have candid conversations with people in government and other governors, and they knew they didn't have the authority and they did it anyways. So I think that's what most people don't know is the heated conversations behind the scenes that went on that these decisions were made knowing that that was not their job. Was there an attempt to try to get some of that authority to have some say in South Dakota? Because wasn't there some stuff that the legislature turned, like, voted down there that, was that would have given you some more? There was a in the legislature on veto mm-hmm. day. Okay. Um, but it was not accepted, but it was also not necessary at all. It was, you know, the governor had every authority to do what they needed to anyways. So it was a, a token piece of discussion, but regardless of what that bill had passed or hadn't passed, every single action we took would have been the same. Was there um, communication from the federal government that said anything like, here's what you're supposed to be saying and doing? Yes, there was a lot of that. And there was a lot of that and then also relying on our, our health care systems. I worked very closely with Sanford and Avira Mm-hmm. and um, Monument Health out in Rapid City. Those were our three main systems, and they all had researchers and, and folks that were experts in this, and nobody really knew what was coming. So a lot of partnerships, and we all agreed to to do things together. And what I re- re- appreciated is that I don't think a lot of governors had that. Mm-hmm. All these healthcare systems knew that I was listening, I was learning, and that I was going to do the best job I could, and whatever decision I made that they were going to figure out what to do respecting it. So I think in some places you had governors making decisions and then the hospital administrators were blowing them up, which isn't very helpful yeah. because it just scared people more. Mm-hmm. Also, I think it was important because our the healthcare, uh, the three healthcare organizations weren't speaking in the same voice mm-hmm. at the beginning. Right. And it created a lot of confusion when the people are getting different messages and the governor took the lead at bringing them together mm-hmm. and encouraging them to speak with one voice and uh, to work with us. So and it made they, it much, much yeah. easier. Did they have different opinions? Like, w- were they coming to different outcomes based there, on the same information? I think one healthcare system, the leadership team was much more scared, very emotional, much more scared, wanting to do the extreme, let's keep people mm-hmm. safe, tell them to stay in their homes, tell them to shut down their businesses, no more meetings, tell them, and and... 
So we just had to balance that. Who, where did the, or when did the conversation start to kind of hold back and stall at, at best uh, elective procedures? Was that a, a hospital-driven decision? It was. Because wasn't relied. that part of a, an it executive was. order? Yeah. Well, no. I, well, I think we executive orders that we made were mm-hmm. all recommendations. Okay. They were not binding as far as what we required, but we knew that people needed to take them seriously. And so that's why we put them forward in executive orders. But that was based on conversations with the healthcare systems is that they um, were hitting capacity. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of people in hospital beds. And, you know, obviously people who go in for a knee replacement take up a hospital bed or a hip replacement, or even to have a valve replaced in their heart, if they could stabilize them at home, they were going to wait and save that bed for somebody who might get sick and and need to be. So that was a decision that they asked if we would put that forward and recommend that only elective procedures would be postponed for a period of time. When do you think we'll see, or will we ever know, the actual long-term effect of that decision? Do you know? And, and it's oh, something that I was thought about. I think it's pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, you got definitely. a lot of people who waited a long time to get care. Oh, yeah. I don't know or, if it's... Or to get screened for cancer or right. to get, you know, they had a heart issue and they didn't go in because See, they I don't know if that's not necessarily even considered an elective procedure. And elective procedures were probably shut down for, in South Dakota, maybe five or six months. It wasn't like it was in other states. Mm. Other states shut them down for... Mm-hmm you know, a couple of years, but I would say in some systems, but I would say that what happened was more of what we're seeing today is people being scared and choosing not to go to the doctor for a long period of time and diagnosing things. Right. So it wasn't necessarily that because they put off their knee replacement that they're going to suffer for the next 20 years or, Mm -hmm. or die because of that. It's more that they just chose not to go into a doctor's clinic on an issue that they had a cough um, because they didn't want to get exposed to COVID. Well, yeah. maybe that cough turned into lung cancer that was untreated for too long, and now they can't cure the individual. So that's more of what we're seeing is people choosing not to go into their clinic because of that. So we, right. we went a long ways towards, um, you know, having the ability to diagnose people over the telephone or using videos. Um, telemedicine has advanced by a long ways, but that you can't really replace sitting in that doctor's office and having them really look at you and seeing what you can do to prevent a big health issue in the future. Do you think we'll see something like that again? The response like it was before? I don't think you'll see that from the general public. You will see the government try to grab control again like that, I think, yeah. based on who is leading. Um, I think the only reason we're still talking about COVID today is because they recognize the kind of control they can seize <laughs> over the public by pushing yeah. pushing forward this public health scare. I mean, a lot of what happened during should this, someone anyone be held like criminally accountable? At you know, some level? I, I guess that's a that's a question for those who have examined the law and see if they have a case on that. Um, I think the disinformation is something that we need to examine. On, on, especially for those who are take an oath to to be doctors, to be lawyers that that have the ethics mm-hmm. that that use this for a political weapon, use this for an opportunity to set an agenda, rather than to really do what was right for the people. Because this this was many times I because I was studying and talking to so many people, they weren't making these decisions based on science at all, or what we know to be true of viruses. 
Well, and um, certainly kept, the science I, they were going off changed greatly over time. All the time. But even just a basic virus, I kept thinking I would read it and I say, is I would say to every researcher, what's the most effective thing that we can do? And they said, well, wash your hands. And I'm like, did you ever hear <laughs> anybody out work. of the White House or the CDC ever say, wash your hands? No, but I'm, I mean, I was shocked. I told somebody, they said, what's the biggest surprise of COVID? I said that I would have to say so many times to people, oh, wash your hands. If you're home, if you're sick, stay home, you know. It seems insane that you would have to even it say is, that. It's crazy, but every press conference I did for, and I sometimes I did three a day. Mm-hmm. Just remember, the number one thing you can do is to wash your hands. <laughs> and I was just like, who knew that would be the job of being governor? All right, kids. All right, kids, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but it still is. That's yeah. even today. Well, but that's it might have new. more yeah. efficacy mm-hmm. than the vaccine does. But do you ever hear anybody out there talking about it? That, hey, don't forget. It doesn't cost anything, though. It's no, free. No, I know. It's true. That's not nice. Yeah, uh, should the U.S. be propping up Ukraine? They should be uh, supporting Ukraine. The amount of money we're spending in Ukraine while ignoring what we're doing on our own national security issues, I think is wrong. Um, we have an open border. We have people that are known terrorists entering this country. We're not enforcing our own laws. And then we're over there acting like we're serving justice in the world by protecting people who are being victimized, meanwhile overlooking the people here down on the border that are being raped and robbed and murdered. So that's my question is, uh, we are all cheering and so is it a, for, is it a mispriority, you think? Misplaced it's priority? It's a misplaced priority. There's something to be said for putting America first. There just is. You, we are the country that brings hope to the world. We were the greatest experiment in humankind and working and providing opportunity for somebody who starts with nothing to become anything they want to be there's no other country that does that and we're neglecting that to to go and be overseas which i think supporting ukraine absolutely we should have been much more aggressive right away we should have absolutely gone out on sanctions hard and hit them where it hurt we should have kept the keystone pipeline in place we should have penalized russia's energy dominance instead of opening up doors for them so there's so many things that this White House can do to squeeze off their economy in Russia without ever having to spend the kind of money. They spend $40 billion over there. and well, It's closer to 55 yeah, now. It is. It's That's outrageous. True. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. true. By the time you add it up, yes. Yeah. South Dakota is extremely red, mm-hmm. well, po- politically speaking. I would say that C- we are common sense. Republicans are the majority. We have a lot of independents in this state, though. But historically, we've been very populist, so it's hard to say South Dakota is really red. When I lost, when I I won my last governor's race by only three points to a Bernie Sanders guy. So, <laughs> so you know, it's so, a little so, bit. Yeah. We're a little wishy-washy at times. <laughs> so, I would say. So the question I have in that is, why do you think that you're seeing a, a primary challenge? Oh, there'll always be a primary challenge. I think probably for me, um, just because why? I'm so matter of fact i just make decisions and i think that when you do that you're going to ruffle some feathers and somebody's going to decide to challenge you i, bl- I believe <laughs> larry's going to pipe in here he's like i know well, something about her being a little bit I, direct i, I re- you know there's a few things that you've said in the past that i remember and one of them was uh when we were in transition that you would never be the kind of governor that one re-election by a landslide. And you said the reason for that is because we are going to do big things. And when you do big things, you make, 
you make people angry and you make enemies. And uh, so rather than sit back and lay in the weeds, we are going to accomplish some some things that will affect the next generations mm-hmm. of South Dakotans. You know, there's something to be said for everybody, and I hope everybody evaluates this in their life. I know Larry and his family believe this too, is that, um, you know, people make sacrifices to be in different positions or jobs. But, and so if you're going to make those sacrifices, then live a life of significance. Then it should matter. You know, do things that matter. And and I was raised by parents that believed that and and not to complain about stuff, but to be somebody who fixes stuff. And, and so it's my second nature, I think, because of the way I was raised and maybe my personality, but, but this world wouldn't be so broken if we had more people who decided they would just step up and solve a problem rather than to just sit back and bellyache about it. What's your biggest regret over the last four years? Is it four? Should be, right? Yeah, I think not enough time. I'm I'm surprised by the amount of stuff I wanted to get done that there's some a lot of bureaucracy in state government that I think people don't realize. I will say and make a decision in something and you know there's 12 to 13,000 state employees out there that are used to doing something a certain way that don't want to change and they know they can outlast you <laughs> if they don't want to see that kind of change. So I feel like I can't even imagine what it's like at the federal level, but there's not enough time. When I first got elected, I didn't. I had met Jeb Bush a couple of times. He's very interested in education, but he he mailed me in the mail a clock that sits on my desk that counts down the amount of time I have in office. So every day I look at that clock and I see how much time I have left. <laughs> and at least it's not the time of your life. <laughs> I know that's true. That's true. But, you know, that's a reminder mm-hmm. that you remember when it was much more significant and it's getting smaller every day. So you think, you know, somebody else will be here sitting in this seat soon and I should do all I can possibly do to hand them a success story for the people that live here. What do you still need to accomplish in order to get sent back for another term? We've got... We have some growing pains, I think, in the state of South Dakota right now. We've got a lot of people that have moved in, a lot of businesses that have expanded. We're being hit from the outside by the national uh, politics and inflation and high energy costs. How do we insulate South Dakota from some of that? And how do we meet our housing needs and then get people into jobs, get Mm -hmm. them trained for the kind of careers that they want to have? So it's all of that, yet... We got to do a better job in this state of taking yeah. care of people. I mean, we really do. Our Department of Corrections has been a mess for quite a period of time. We don't do much for treatment, mental health. So we are making big strides in all those areas, but taking better care of people and getting them, you know, partnering with our churches, nonprofits yeah. for a role that they should fill. It's not the state government isn't. I always tell people, be careful what you ask the government to do. You know, you know, the government is not the answer to all your problems, but we can help bring people together and say, you should be doing this and mm-hmm. you should be doing this. And the goal is that this individual has as much control over their life as possible and they're independent and free. The government could make it easier to work together. For, oh, yeah. Uh, we make yeah. it hard so many times. Yeah. So many regulations and right. taxes. Um, but I know you have to go, so I don't want to mm. abuse you too much, but... Well, you're um, right. That does go fast. <laughs> See? I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, two hours you would be go. great. That's right. <laughs> um, I, I would love to have you back at some point. 
yeah, we um, will absolutely. It, it would be a blast. I mean, because there's yeah. a whole ton of stuff that I think I'd like to dig into with education. Great. And um, but PRCA is coming to Watertown in August. Yes, that's kind of crazy. I used to help run the PRCA rodeo years ago when it was in Watertown. Really? Yeah, Jim and Julie Sutton would come to Watertown, and my sister and I would help them put on that rodeo every year. So that's exciting for me yeah, that it would come. That'll back. be very cool. Yeah. Um, who is the best role model for girls in rodeo today? Well, Haley Kinzel, I am just super stinking proud of her. She's and kind of fast, too. She's fast, but she's, <laughs> well, she rides she's a good horse outspoken. Too. Really? Yeah, and her love for sister is pretty remarkable. So It's an incredible um, horse. Yeah, and I love the fact that she's not super fancy, and she's just a normal, everyday person who's training her own horses. She's got many of them that she's you know, putting in, and she'll stop in a heartbeat and go help mm. somebody else if they need it. So that's... You know, people need a little inspiration these days. They should just look to the sport of rodeo because these folks still love America, still love God. Their family's important to them. They know how to have fun. Uh, but there's something to be said about your well-being when you've got an animal in your life. And uh, that's yeah. what's special about these cowboys and cowgirls. One more, or two two more. The best sure. bull rider that sits right now, sits on a bull. Well, I'm a big I mean, I'm a big fan of Sage Kimsey. He came Ooh. and rode on our South Dakota yeah. Buffalo Roundup. I don't know if people know that. I didn't know that. Yes, really? he came and rode with us two years ago on the Buffalo Roundup, and we had a fantastic time. That's so Jade cool. Blackwell is a guy from South Dakota that's a, a bronc rider. Um, but him and a couple of his buddies were riding specifically with me. And that was, I think when I look back on my life, that will be one of the most fun days in my life because you're with literal, legit cowboys. Mm-hmm on this Buffalo Roundup, and you think it's pretty special to be running flat out across the Black Hills, 100 miles an hour chasing buffalo. But to watch these cowboys, they were hooping and hollering and slapping me on the back and saying, this is so much blankety-blank fun. And, you know, and they were, they got done. They said, we've never done anything like that in my life. That's the most fun I've ever had. And I'm thinking, if I can, if we can facilitate something like that for these, for real cowboys, this is, this was special. So that was the most fun I had was watching them enjoy a tradition of South mm-hmm. Dakota that they had never had the chance to experience. That's cool. They're a little crazy, too. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Governor Noem, Lieutenant Governor Roden, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me today. And I would really love to do it again if you would be so kind in the future. Absolutely. Oh, one last thing. Bugs Bunny or Wiley E. Coyote? Well, Larry's going to say what? <laughs> Well, I'm not a big fan of Bugs Bunny, but I'm a lesser fan of a Coyote. Well, I was going to say, you wanted to, you want to shoot Wiley Coyote. Huh? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Governor Noem and Lieutenant Governor Larry Roden. We appreciate the time. I know it was short, but I know you have tight time. If you want to find out more, governor.sd.gov. That's where you can find out more information on Governor Christy Noem as she runs for re-election in South Dakota in 2022 as the governor. Uh, we appreciate the time. Ymailblink.com is our website. If you have any questions, you can email us, ymailblink at gmail.com. Again, if you want to help support the show, you are more than welcome to. You just choose the value. We don't set that for you. Whatever it is that you decide is worth, You can send it to us in the dollar form or you can send it value to us by telling more people to listen and sharing out this uh, this feed across your social medias and your circle of influence. So thanks a lot for listening. We appreciate it. We will talk to you or we won't talk to you. 
We'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.